this weekend, as we continue in our series, Joy in the Journey, we come to a critical question. And that question is, what is the motive for your ministry? Why are you serving your families? Why are you caring for your kids? Why are you involved in Christ church? What is motivating your ministry? What it is that's moving you and motivating you to serve others? You see, it's here that Paul reveals that there are two different hearts and two very different headings. One heart is driven by selfless love, the other by selfish ambition. And my prayer is that we will each take a look at our own hearts today to see what kind of health is there in our hearts. And one of the things that what we struggle with doing, especially in the American church, is making the passage personal. What, what we do is we deflect God's word because as we hear it, we go, oh yeah, that's Bob, that's Julie, that's, oh, this would be so good for like it's not good for us. And I want to encourage you, as you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, Philippians 1.15, make the passage personal. Paul says, it is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. And those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Last time we saw how physical problems, things like prison, don't hinder the gospel going forward. We have this idea today that persecution is going to prevent the spread of the gospel. And what we saw is it actually fans the flames and it causes you and I to be bold in sharing our faith. And now Paul is saying to you and I, it's not just physical problems that we will encounter in this life, but people problems. And he talks here about critical Christians. The reason that I say he's talking about critical Christians is you notice that Paul doesn't condemn their preaching, but their practice. He's not going after the theology saying, hey, these guys are preaching a message that's false. What he's saying to you and I is, look, Here's a bunch of guys that are trying to preach the message of Christ, which is what? His peace and his love through the vehicle of envy and strife and jealousy and hurt. And they're critical. And we've all been around critical Christians. And you see, this is where for many of us, we get derailed and we lose our joy for Jesus, right? When we deal with the critical Christians of life, the problem people, Because unlike problems that are hard, people can be hurtful. And sometimes it's easier to deal with the hard problems of life than the hurtful people of life. And so we let them derail us 
We let them hinder us from serving Jesus, and we just simply lose our joy. But you notice here that Paul's still rejoicing. He hasn't lost his joy in Jesus because of a bunch of critical Christians. You see, you and I need to understand that just because there are problem people, it is not going to prevent the spread of the gospel. You and I need to recognize that many times in our life, we get caught up listening to the words of other people instead of the word of God. When you and I see the problems of life, the physical problems, collide with the people problems, that for many of us is overwhelming. And I want you to see here that Paul is not just dealing with critical Christians. He's also dealing with physical problems like prison. And when those two things collide, it can be crippling in our life. But how does Paul respond? He's still positive. How can you be positive in the face of physical problems and painful people? The reason that you can is your perspective. Do you notice here that Paul is not focused on the problems? He's not focused on the people or the pain. He is focused on the plan of God. And what is the plan of God? We learned it last week. It is the goal, the gospel. And I love the fact that Paul, despite the physical problems of life, despite the painful people of life, still keeps making it about the plan. And I want to encourage you. If you are making it about the gospel, then your eyes are on Jesus, not on the junk. Why do we spend so much of our emotional energy and time focusing on the garbage instead of on God, the problems and the people? Because many of us have a polluted perspective today, and a polluted perspective is going to cause you to focus on your feelings, and to ultimately feed those feelings, those feelings of anger, disappointment, hurt. And there are many of us in the church as we have these feelings, and guess what? Paul had feelings about prison. Paul had feelings about being constantly criticized when he knew his heart was right before God. But do you notice here a proper perspective allows you to filter your feelings through the Word of God? Because if you're not filtering those feelings, you'll feed them. Can I ask you, are you filtering your feelings today through the word or are you feeding them based on your wounds? And many of us today, we're allowing those feelings to drive our life. You see, when we filtered them through the word of God, our focus is on what? It's on God. But when we don't filter them through the word, and we filter them through our wounds, where's our focus? On the garbage, right? On all the hurts. Why does this become important for us in the church? Well, because Paul says there's two different kinds of Christians in the church. There are those that preach Christ, and there are those that practice what they preach. You see, here were people who were trying to preach a message of love and peace through the vehicle of envy and strife. Do you see a problem with that? They're not practicing what they preach. 
Now, that doesn't hinder, in a sense, it, it may hold up, but it doesn't halt the cause of Jesus Christ. But then there were other people who were preaching this message of Jesus, and they were preaching it through what? The vehicle of love. Because they loved Paul. They loved the church. How do you and I get to a place in our Christian life where we're just preaching stuff that we're not practicing? It happens all the time in the church. I think it has to do with our motives. You see, you and I can either have pure motives or polluted motives. And Paul, as he starts talking about these two groups, says one's got this polluted motive and the other has a pure motive. And the reason for the polluted motive is selfish ambition. He clearly states that it's selfish ambition. The reason that you serve will determine who you serve. If you are serving out of sacrificial love, you will serve the Savior. If it's out of selfish ambition, you will serve self. And here's where many of us mess up ministry before we ever start. We make ministry about me. So we come home, we're going to minister to our family, but what's the focus? It's not the master, it's me. And you know what happens when we have this me-focused ministry? It's not ministry, it's, it's a misery. And many of us today, we have miserable marriages. Why? Because it's a me-focused ministry. We, we have miserable experiences as families with our kids instead of it being a joyful time. Why? Because it, it's a me-focused ministry. And have you noticed how the world has shifted everything to a me-focused today? And guess what? We're being corrupted in the church by our culture because we're bringing this ideology of me into the church and we're trying to minister based on me. It's what I call the me-monster. And, and we're all susceptible to being bit by the me monster. And can I tell you, in your life, if you take a look at those times when you've allowed yourself to be motivated by the me monster, it's pretty miserable, right? Not just miserable for you, but miserable for everyone around you. And, and if you were to interview those people and say, do you want this person to keep ministering to you? They'd be like, just take them away, please. They're killing me right now, right? You see, you and I need to ask ourselves a simple question. What is motivating me to serve? Is it about me or is it about the master? Hugh Latimer was a pastor in England in the 1500s. He was a great pastor, had lots of great opportunities to preach the gospel, and one day he was invited to preach the gospel to the king of England, King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII was not a godly man. He had many wives and he murdered most of them. That should give you a clue as to the fact that he was not a godly man. And Latimer was getting ready to preach the word of God to this guy that had no problem having multiple wives and murdering them when, when, when he, they fell out of his favor and, and, and his life was based on how he felt about everything. And Latimer says that he heard two voices. I like to think of it as the voice of me and the voice of the master. You see, the me voice said this, Latimer, do you realize that you are getting ready to preach a not very popular message before the king of England who could have you beheaded, you could lose your life. And then he heard another voice, the voice of the master. It is true, Latimer, that you are going to preach before the king of England. But do not forget, you're not just preaching before the king of England. You're preaching before the King of Kings. Which voice am I going to listen to in my life? Me or the Master? 
but it will determine the message that you preach. And on that New Year's Day, like a courageous lion, Latimer walked in and gave a gift to the king, a Bible, where the leaf was turned to Hebrews 13.4, which says this, Whoremongers and adulterers I will judge. It's a great way to start a sermon, by the way. He went on to preach the same message that John the Baptist preached when he saw the multitudes coming to be baptized, but he knew their hearts, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee the coming wrath? And then just as John had said to the king in his day, Herod, who had taken a woman that was his brother's wife, it was not a lawful marriage, it was adultery. Just as John had looked at Herod, Latimer looked at Henry, and he said, it is not right that you take this woman to be your wife. Called it for what it was. Preached the truth. The king flew in into an instant rage. And he ordered that Latimer retract his statements by the next Lord's Day. On the next Lord's Day, Latimer showed up and he proclaimed 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm not backing down. Because I'm not afraid of the king of England, I serve the king of kings, Jesus Christ. Everyone expected King Henry to order his execution. But instead, Henry said this, praise be to God that I have such an honest servant. See, no one else in his cult was willing to be honest with him. And many of us, we live these dishonest lives because we make it about me and not about the master. And so we really don't speak the truth in love into people's lives. We're not willing to be honest with people today because of how it will impact us. And many of us, we struggle. We go to school and we really don't want to live out a courageous Christian life because we don't want to be the weird Christian kid that sits alone at the high school cafeteria their whole life, uh, high school experience. But see, we turn into that adult who doesn't want to share Christ at the workplace because we don't want to look like the weird and it carries on throughout our life. And so many of us, we make these compromises, and sometimes it's the compromise of, I'm just not going to share Jesus. Because it, it, it might not go well for me, because the motive is, how will this affect me? Some of us, we make the compromise in our Christian life based on, I want to look cool. And so we tell that dirty joke to fit in and, and look like the cool guy at work or school. And I want to ask you, How often in your life are you making the motivation me instead of the master? So what happened to Latimer? King Henry died. His son was a fairly feeble man, did not last long on the throne. A queen came to power who did not like Latimer's preaching. She had him and Nicholas Riley, another man who was a reformer of the time and preached the gospel. She had them arrested tried for treason, and sentenced to be burned at the stake. And as Riley and his co-worker, Nicholas, were there tied to the stake, as the fire was put to their feet, Latimer turned 
And he said to Riley these prophetic words, We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Persecution does not prevent the spread of the gospel. You see, it matters, the motive of a ministry. Because the reason that you serve will determine the results of your service. The reason that motivates you for ministry will determine the results of that ministry. And if the reason is selfish ambition, Paul says the results will be envy, they will be jealousy, and they will be hurt. And I don't think there's a single one of us in here that says that's the kind of results we want. But we need to understand that the reason we're serving will determine the results of our service. Do you realize this is not just a new modern day problem in the church among God's people? It's not a present day problem only. It was a New Testament problem. Paul experienced it. But do you realize it was also an Old Testament problem? It has been a problem for God's kids for a long, long time. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me as we look at the results of selfish ambition to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. 1 Samuel 18, 5 says, Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and with cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This made Saul very angry. What is this, he said. They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they will be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And the next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice, and Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. You see the envy that shows up. And sometimes we struggle here with the difference between envy and jealousy. I think that envy is what happens in our heart. Jealousy is what comes out of the heart. You see, just three chapters before in 1 Samuel 15, Saul had decided to not do the will of God and to do what he wanted. He disobeyed God. He got bit by the me monster and he made ministry based on me instead of the master. And so it's no surprise three chapters later when they have this tremendous victory over the enemy that instead of being glad, he's mad. That instead of celebrating, he's sulking. We see that all the time. Why? Because it was never about the master. It was about me. And you see, You and I need to understand that that ministry based on me becomes a misery. Now, he's angry. The text clearly states that. Anger is a protest. And what is Saul protesting? 
He is protesting the praise of people when it comes to David. Now, he doesn't have a problem with the praise of people. He has a problem with the praise of people for other people. As long as the praise was on him or most of the praise was on him, he was fine. And it's here that we discover the first thing when it comes to the me monster, the fuel or the food of the me monster is the praise of people. And when you don't get that praise, you figure out how to create it. You see, there are some of you today that you've made it about me and not about the master. And so when you're not being fed or fueled by the praise of people, you've figured out different broken ways of getting people to say good things about you. And sometimes you do simple things like we take a picture of ourselves and we post it on social media and I'm feeling ugly today. And what happens? We get a flood of, oh, you're the most pretty, you're great, you're wonderful. What did we do? Why did we do that? Have you ever asked yourself what's motivating you to do that? You see, it's really easy for us to start becoming obsessed with the praise of people. And I think one of the dangers in the church today is we are in danger of making this a popularity contest instead of preaching for Christ. And so we start looking at other churches and feeling like we're somehow more superior to them or, or, or my pastor's better or your pastor's better. And I hear these things all the time and I watch pastors start to, to make it a, a competition instead of coming together. And we start to compare ourselves and to compete with each other instead of complimenting one another. I did a funeral for an amazing saint in this church, Ken Hubbs, godly, godly, godly man. He went home to be with the Lord. And I found out that two other pastors, Pastor Dale Brown and Pastor Scott Clark, who had been his pastors at different times when he was at a different church, that were going to be here. And I asked the family, is it okay if I have them involved in the service? Is it okay if I have them come upstairs and pray for you as a family? And can the three of us lead you in as a family? Why would I do that? Because as a community, we need to see that we're not competing with one another. We're complimenting one another. That these godly men, these pastors in this community had had a tremendous impact in his life at different times. I just happen to be the pastor at the, the last part of his life. And if you and I aren't careful, we will start to compete with one another. And we'll be upset when we hear other people being praised. You see, we need to understand something today, that as ministers and every single one of us, we're ministers. We are just simply the mouthpiece. We're the mouthpiece so that people can hear the message. And I want to tell you something, it's not about the mouthpiece, it's about the message. Now I brought with me today my wife's trumpet, and I'm not going to make you go through this painful experience. (laughs) It would be painful. But I use this just as an illustration this morning. It's interesting that when these trumpets are put away, they pull out the mouthpiece, and there's obvious reasons for that. There's a special little place that it goes separate from the trumpet, right? Now, look at how small and insignificant that is compared to the rest of the trumpet, right? Now, it's important that we have a mouthpiece because otherwise you can't really play this thing. But can I ask you this question? Do we applaud 
the mouthpiece or do we applaud the music that comes out? We applaud the music, right? It is not about the mouthpiece. It is about the message. And many of us today are getting caught up trying to appreciate and celebrate ourselves. The truth of the matter is, if we're not careful, we will become pridefully arrogant, not just pastors, but all ministers. But you know, a very humbling reality of Scripture is this, that God preached to a man through a donkey. He can use a donkey as his mouthpiece. He can use you as his mouthpiece. And pastors specifically, those of you listening online this morning, can I just say this, that when you and I become prideful and we make it about the mouthpiece and not about the message, we end up looking a lot like that donkey. And it's not real pretty. We are incredibly blessed as a body to have the technology that we have. We're incredibly blessed to have Ken and Christina as servants who serve here through the worship ministry and all of the changes and the things and the hard work and the teams that they put together. And right now, there's a team in a little room that you rarely ever see, and they're making sure that videos are going out so that the gospel is global. We have missionaries that are serving on the front lines that are separated from their families that right now are able to connect in with our church body. And missionaries, we want to say to you, thank you for serving. Thank you for being there. We've got people who are shut-ins. We've got people who are sick. This weekend, we've got people that couldn't come because of the snow. And for some of you, you may laugh at that. But, but for some of them, they're older, and, and it's, it's just not wise for them to get out. But they're still able to connect into the body. But if we're not careful, we will become pridefully arrogant and we will start to use that technology to to try to get the praise of people. And what happens is we start going, how many likes did we get? How many shares did we get? And all of a sudden, we, we don't get a weekend where we get enough of whatever that quota is. And by the way, you can't ever fully feed the me monster. It's never full. It's always hungry. And what happens? We walk away and we're disappointed, we're disillusioned. Why? Because it it didn't work according to me. Every single one of us is susceptible to the me monster. Every single one of us is susceptible to making it about me. And for some of you, the reason that you come to church and gather with other believers is because it's a great opportunity to get business contacts because it's not about the master. It is about money. Bottom line, you're here to try to get a contract. For some of you, you're here because it will make you look good in the community. For some of you, you're here because it makes you feel good. And while that's great, we have to be careful because week after week, we come to feel good instead of to experience a good father. There's a great story told about a man who reviewed books for a living and 
these publishers and authors would send him these books. And, and there were a lot of times he had more books than he could review, just physically couldn't get through them all. And he had some friends that were pretty self-centered, pretty stuck on themselves. They had been bitten pretty hard by the me monster. And so he thought he'd have a little fun. And what he did is he took the note and he forged it. And he said this, Dear friend, I hope you're willing to receive this free complimentary copy of my book. And I hope that you don't mind that I named you in person in the book. And then he mailed it to him. And guess what the first thing they did was? They went to the index. Where's my name? Where's my name? Where's my name? Where's my name? I'm not finding my name. So then they read it cover to cover. Probably read the book several times cover to cover, trying to find their name. What did they say about me? Was it a good thing? Did I get praise? Can I ask you a question? How many of us read the Word of God like that? And maybe we read it cover to cover. But we make it so often about me. Can I tell you something? Would you start reading the Word of God to discover more about God? Would you start reading the Word of God to start discovering more about His Son that came and died for you and loves you? You see, it's not just envy, but jealousy. Why was Saul so jealous over the people's praise? Because he had started to tie his worth to the words of men. Our worth is not in what others say. Our worth is in what the Word of God says. And when you and I tie our worth to other people's words, we need to hear things from them in order for us to feel important. And you notice here that one of the first things that starts to happen when he's not hearing the words that he needs, it affects his worth and he starts to feel insecure. Insecure as a person and insecure in his position. And I've watched a lot of men. Remember, Saul was the king. I mean, this guy had power, but he was insecure. And I've watched a lot of men that they've got a big company, they've got a lot of power, but they're incredibly insecure, and they're afraid that they're going to lose that position. You see, they care more about their position than they do about God. And what starts to happen in his life as he starts to have this insecurity first as a person and secondly in his position, he starts to fear that David's going to take his kingdom, right? He's now fear-based, not faith-based. And so now he starts to say this. Well, look at what the people are saying about David and look what's going to start to happen. And do you notice who he's comparing himself to? David. Can I tell you what comparison with other Christians does? Comparing yourself leads to confusion. And many of us will live in confused lives because we're comparing ourselves to other people and we're either trying to model our life after them or we're jealous and envious of them. We're not to compare to other Christians. We're to compare ourselves to Christ, right? We're to become like Christ. That's the model. But you see, it's not just the deadliness of comparison. It also led to hurt. And while David is making music, he's ministering to Saul through music. Were you ministered to this morning through music? You were. That's why we call it a music ministry, right? He's playing the harp, right? He's ministering through music. And what happens? While he's ministering through music, Saul is trying to murder. You see the two different hearts? The reason, selfish ambition. Look at the results. You see, there are some of you today in your marriages... 
that just like Saul, you're throwing spears. You see, you're making it about the mouthpiece and not about the music. You come home and you see your kids and your wife and you don't walk through the door, guys, and say, I want to minister to my wife. Hey, honey, how was your day? We want everyone to ask us about our day. Why? Because it's about me. It ain't about my family. Ministry based on me is never really going to be about anybody but me. Our kids come running up and they're loud, they're noisy, they're excited to see you. And we've dealt with people all day long and, and we're like, get away. I need my personal space. I want to go watch TV. I want to get on Netflix. I want to do whatever I want to do. Honey, why can't the kids be quiet? Because it's annoying me. Me, 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 me. And what happens to our kids' hearts? We're throwing spears, right? We're murdering the very hearts of our families today. Do you know why? Because of this tormenting spirit that got a hold of Saul's life. And we struggle with this because we're like, God sent this? What's going on there? How does that fit with theology? Here's the reality. When God has given you a prominent position in the kingdom to be his mouthpiece, and all you want to be is me, 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 God simply says, okay, I'm going to quit holding back the things that I was protecting you from, and I will let you fully experience the misery of a ministry based on me. And I'm going to tell you, it's a torment. It tormented his heart. It tormented his head. It made him mad instead of him being glad for Jesus. When you and I make it about envy and anger, Scripture says we open up the door of our heart to the devil. We give him a great foothold in our life to speak lies into our life, and we end up living out his plan. Do you notice here that Saul is now doing the work of the enemy instead of fighting the enemy. And I watch this all the time. Churches fighting among themselves. Christians fighting among themselves. And Satan just steps back and says, keep throwing the spears, people. Thanks for doing my work for me. So what about in your home? Would you say that the results of your ministry is music or murder? And some of you right now, it's hard because you're like, yeah, there's, there's moms in here today that feel like they need to be the referee between dad and his kids because they're tired of watching dad wound their kids. And so now they're trying to figure out how do I love my, my husband and protect my kids at the same time? How do I? And here's what they do. They take the spear. And some of you ladies, you're dying. You know why? Because you keep taking the spear. Guys, I want to encourage you. When you come home, please start to minister based on what Jesus wants you to do. Not your flesh. And this is not just a problem with guys. Some of you ladies, you're ministering to your families based on, on me and not the master. And it's this performance-based parenting that we come back to because how, does the, how do my kids reflect on me? And that's the motive for why you're parenting. And so the moment that there's something that you don't like, you, you know, it's performance-based. I'll love you with, I'll love you when. If you get the right grades, if you score the right touchdowns, if you do the right things, then I'll love you. Why? Because the ministry is based on me. How are you going to reflect on me as a parent? 
You see, it's here that Paul reminds us, lastly, that we can have a pure motive. And as you and I look at this pure motive that moves us to ministry, we ask ourselves, how do I know if I have a pure motive or a polluted motive? There's a question that we need to ask ourselves, and it's this, how do I respond to criticism? Do I rejoice or do I retaliate? Paul rejoiced in the face of critical Christians. And he doesn't just say, I'm going to rejoice today and then I'm done. He says, I am going to rejoice and I am going to keep on rejoicing. Do you notice he doesn't react, he responds. The only way for you and I to respond in this life and not react in the face of the pain of people is if we're filtering it through the Word of God. If you and I are not filtering it, we will feed those feelings and we will react. And that reaction is going to be pretty harsh. And some of you, you're reacting in your relationships instead of responding. Now, why does Paul rejoice here in the face of critical Christians? It kind of seems a little weird, right? Two reasons. One... Criticism will reveal your real heart. You see, the blessing of criticism is that sometimes when everything's going great in life, we can put these masks on in ministry and we can be ministering based on me, but we really aren't fully aware of that. But when we have this criticism coming to our life and we have these violent reactions and we retaliate against people, guess what? All of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, that was the me monster. And I've been basing ministry on me. But how does Paul respond here? Rejoicing. He doesn't retaliate. The second reason why he rejoices is because it goes back to the plan. You see, the way that you live your life may hinder the cause of Christ, but it doesn't halt the cause of Christ. And Paul is saying this, look, whether they've got pure motives or impure motives, it is not going to prevent the spread of the gospel. So many times we bump up against critical people in our life and we just fall apart and we're like, well, that's it. Well, it is if it's about you. But if it's about the message of Jesus Christ, you can rejoice because here's the truth. Criticism doesn't prevent you from sharing Jesus. And I think Paul would want us to know this today, and that is start listening to the words of Christ more than you do the critics. How do you handle criticism in your life? It's very simple. When people are critical of you, you take that criticism back to Christ. And you say to Christ, I want you through the Holy Spirit to show me, is there any ounce of truth to this criticism? And if there's an ounce of truth in that criticism, you deal with that in your heart. Maybe there's some things that you need to change in that. Our tendency today is to say, unless it comes through the vehicle of love, and yes, we are to speak the truth in love, but sometimes you need to understand that people bring truth and it's not very loving and it comes across as harsh criticism. And our tendency today is to say, look, if there's no love, I'm just throwing it in the trash. Don't throw truth in the trash. Bring that criticism to Christ. But here's the thing. We tend to go to Facebook, not to the Father, right? And we post all of our pain. And what does that do? It just creates division because we have people for us and people against us. Do you notice here that Paul still has unity in the church? Because he reminds them to rejoice, to come together. Here's what you and I need to understand. That when we filter that criticism through Christ, he's going to say this is truth and that's trash. 
And can I ask you, what do you do with the trash? You throw it out, right? There are some of you today, you have been carting around the garbage of the words of people, people that were critical to you when you were in school, people that were critical of you and your family growing up, people that were critical of you at different times in your life, and you keep playing these wounded words over and over and over, and Jesus is saying, it's garbage, put it in the trash. But in the church today, what we're doing is we're throwing away the truth of the criticism and we're holding under the trash of the criticism. And then we wonder why we're walking around these miserable Christians with no joy. God did not intend for you to cart around the garbage. He wants you to hold on to the truth, not to the trash. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. I met with a man a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago. A man who, when he was getting ready to graduate from, from high school, had a pastor speak some harsh criticism into his life. And I got to tell you, it wasn't truth, it was trash. But he held on to it. And as he listened to those wounded words over and over and over, it made him want to have less and less to do with the church, less and less to do with Christ. And he started to push away from all that. And he held on to the garbage and threw away God. And for over 50 years, he lived a miserable life, hurting himself and hurting the people around him. And as we met and he told me what that pastor said, I said, okay, let's get our Bibles out. Where's that in the Word? It's not there. It's garbage. Why are you holding on to the trash? Now let me share truth with you. It's been amazing to watch the transformation in his life from an angry, bitter man to a man that's starting to understand what it looks like to love Jesus and to love others. And God's going to use him powerfully. And some of you today, you've been holding on to the trash and throwing away the truth. I think Paul also wants to remind us here that We've got to stop defending our reputation and start defending the gospel. He says, they love me because they know I was appointed to defend the gospel. What are you defending today? I learned a long time ago in the ministry, if you defend the gospel, you don't have to defend your reputation. That's the way it works. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross of Calvary. On the third day, he rose again. And when we cry out to him and we admit that we're sinners and we ask him to save us, he saves us for all eternity. That's the gospel. The lion of Judah that conquered death and the devil on the cross of Calvary. And so here's the thing. If the lion's in the cage... And people are coming and they're making fun of the cage and they're beating on the cage. There's two ways that you can defend the gospel, the lion in the cage. One way is you can try to get between the people in the cage and you can try to defend that way. A second way is you just let the lion out of the cage. And I'm telling you today, we've got to let the lion out of the cage. If you really want to defend the gospel, then let Jesus out. Let him shine at school. Let him shine at work. Let him shine everywhere that you go. Let the lion out because here's the thing. He will overwhelm the opposition with his love.
See, the truth of the matter is it's about objective and it is about expectation. The objective, is it going to be about me or the master? The expectation, is this a comfortable Christian life or is this an adventure? And I think for many of us today, we have set the objective far too low and the expectation far too high. Where are you at? I close with this story. F.B. Meyer, famous pastor in England. One morning as he was in his study, looking over his sermon notes, looking out the window, he saw crowds of people coming to church. And he smiled and he thought the church is going to be full this morning. And then he realized they weren't coming to his church. They were going up the hill to Charles Spurgeon's church. And F.B. Meyer fell on his knees. And there in his office he prayed this prayer. God, would you bless my brother Charles Spurgeon? Would you bless his congregation? That's a pure motive. That's a pure heart. So why are you ministering? If you're really honest today, we're personal with the passage. Is it me or is it the master? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for how you speak truth in our lives. And I just ask that as we go out and we serve our families, we serve our church, we serve this community, that it would not be about us, that it would be about your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.